Hiyo. You are now listening to You Guessed It, The Bright Diaries. <laughs> so, for this season, we will be talking about social issues, basically how queer people interact within African societies. So this means that aside our usual episodes, which include a compilation of queer African voices, we'll also be talking to specific queer personalities. So like last episode, I spoke to Ahmad, lesbian, the YouTube personality. And this episode, I will be talking to the amazing Timei Adibaya. She is amazing basically if you know her from twitter or instagram she goes by ultimate if you don't know her i am giving you like a second to google her and come back and listen to this episode i hope you learned something new while listening to this episode stay tuned i love to see you beautiful i want to see your life so hi Timai, how are you? Well, thank you. Hi Maria. <laughs> okay, so Olu Timai is one of Nigeria's greatest writers, speaker, advocate, <laughs> social advocate whose work exists in, at the intersection of social justice and human rights and inclusion. She works as a keynote speaker, moderator, and facilitator. I have been to one of her events. And let's just say I cried and I laughed and it was a really, really good time. If you've read Mary's work, you will know that she's known for writing about feminism and not feminism lights like everybody knows, <laughs> but like dipshit. And then there's the TED Talk that was selected for one, 10 of the most notable TED Talks in 2017. Yeah. But I think my favorite, favorite thing that you've written has to be the um, Gerald Crax Prize essay, Mothers and Men. Also, I really like your work at The Correspondence. I don't get all your pieces, but the ones that I do get, they leave me thinking. I think my favorite one right now is the one where you talked about, I don't know the name of the village. I suck at pronouncing things. The um, village in Igbo land where... Um, right. Yeah, that was so interesting. How did you like? How did you? Where did that story come from? How did that story come to you? Um, I've had that book. I've had if you imagine me's male daughters, female husbands on my reading list for about a year now, and I picked it up because last year or two years ago, I decided to be deliberate about seeking out feminist scholarship by African and preferably Nigerian women, but African women. And I eventually got around to reading it this year. It is a revelation in so many ways. I I think the most surprising thing from the book is how he describes patriarchy in pre-colonial and sort of colonial Nobi. And how even though patriarchy existed in that in that society, it was not a system of oppression. It had never occurred to me until I read this book that patriarchy could exist without being oppressive. oppressive. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that's like. Exactly. <laughs> but as I read it, it made it made so much sense to me because 
in all of my writing and in all of my work, as I think about systems, what I really always come back to is power, right? And so it's, I, I think what the book illuminated for me is that it is not patriarchy itself that is oppressive. It is the way power is distributed now under patriarchy that is oppressive. Because in Nunobi, land and lineage are distributed along patrilineal and patriarchal lines, but power is not. And so that is the thing that makes it possible for patriarchy to exist without being oppressive and without being exploitative and without creating any particular class of people. I I found it so, so illuminating. I can imagine because I was reading it and I knew that that was just like a really, when I say suppressed version of what you read, like that was just like a really, really tiny bit of what you've read and what you've learned from it so i wanted to talk about that it wasn't even in my initial topic but thinking about it right now i was like yeah i have to ask about that story but Mm -hmm. um yeah so let's get down to it so my other favorite story so i'm a type of person that has like 10 favorite things so i'm going to say favorite favorite a lot (laughs) get used to it so but my other favorite story or my other favorite essay of yours which is there they are those girls um, there's this part. <laughs> there is this part, um, 1999, 1999, where you wrote about pressing breast literally. I'm wondering. <laughs> I'm wondering if that was when you knew that you were queer. No, actually. Wow. Because, well. What did you think was happening then, then? <laughs> I didn't. You know, I think I arrived at the label long after, long, long, long after that point in my life. There are so many things that you do that you just don't have names for. They're just things that you do. Yeah, yeah. And as a child, you know, I wasn't going around labeling all of the things that I enjoyed. I didn't have a word for how much I liked to read. I didn't have a word for how much I liked to be alone or how much I enjoyed impressing adults with my vocabulary. So in the same way, I didn't have a word for how much I enjoyed being around girls. It was just one of the many things that made up the life that I had and the things that I did. It it didn't even exist as, it wasn't external to me at all. So I didn't feel the need to name it. It was just me, right? Yeah. It was in adulthood and upon realizing how queerness exists in the world or how it is positioned in the world as I embraced that identity and embraced that label and integrated it into my understanding of who I am. But in the same way that I don't have a word for the fact that my eyes are brown or my hair is short, or, you know, if we didn't live in this world, I wouldn't have a word for the fact that I'm attracted to women. It would just be. Yeah, so when in adults, you say you knew in adulthood, yeah. So I'm thinking that affected you in some way. Can you tell me about how knowing, like being able to describe that affection, how that affected you? Oh, it was so liberating. (laughs) Realizing, coming into the realization that this has always been me, that I've always been attracted to women. So it was very freeing. Yeah. It was extremely liberating. And that's not because 
I felt caged before, but I definitely felt limited. And this is the first time I'm, I'm really thinking this through. I remember having said to someone at the very first Ake ever, oh no, maybe just my first Ake. I don't think I went to the first Ake. I think that was in 2013 and I think I went to the next year. Okay. I remember saying to someone that I wished that I wasn't attracted to men. I was just like, oh my God, I wish it wasn't a thing. Um, <laughs> and then two years later, it's like, oh wait, ah, look, Alhamdulillah, because- <laughs> It has been revealed to me. <laughs> Now I realize what that is, right? But so coming into the realization was really freeing because I knew fundamentally that I didn't want that sort of intimacy or that sort of commitment or that sort of connection with men. I didn't have space in my understanding of romantic relationships to validate another possibility for myself. But in expressing that, wish that ah, it would be so nice if I didn't have to date men. What I was really saying is this is not a thing that I want, but yeah. I didn't know that I could sort of yeah. go in a different direction. Yeah. Um, so literally I'll have to you don't understand. <laughs> literally <laughs> how did you realize that you could like what was the thing for you? I went Black feminism, Black feminism forum in Brazil. In oh, I think you wrote about it in yeah, the, yeah, the end, yeah. Yes, and you know that there is a there's a the Venn diagram of feminists and lesbians. There's a very large place <laughs> <laughs> for you. So at this forum, at this conference, I was just surrounded by queer women and I think it was really just I don't really believe in like representation politics as being inherently transformative right representation is what it is doesn't always mean anything but being immersed in a space where I was literally surrounded by everybody was gay everybody (laughs) everybody (laughs) and just being in that space all of these women in platonic relationships in romantic relationships People just making out, people just hooking up, people swapping partners every night. I was just like, wait, 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 could it be? <laughs> Literally what happened? I was just like, because I felt so centered. I felt so like myself. I had never felt so like myself before. And it, it's a thing that you don't know that you're missing until you find it. At least in my experience, that's what happened. Because I had lived the whole of my life, you know, you know carrying on, chugging along, doing whatever, feeling okay. And then I got to this place and when I, I, I felt my entire being just click. Wow. I was like, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and from then on, beginners, beginners. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember coming back home from that thing and telling my best friend Alosa, I feel like now that I know I'm queer, I'm becoming even queerer. Like, oh my God, that's a thing, it's a thing, it's a real thing. Like, it's once, once it wakes up, it's like you can't, like how was it ever off? <laughs> like oh. how? Because it's a thing. Just, 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 
just like we're here today, guys. <laughs> I love it for me. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I totally understand all the feelings because I experienced all those things too. I feel like, um, I think it sort of comes from, for me, I feel like it comes from representation. I feel like if I was able to see a lot of queer people representing, like being on TV, like now there, I won't say there are so many shows because I still go to Netflix and I'm still looking for one show with a queer character that I can actually watch. But mm-hmm. I feel like now there are still shows that you can still watch, and I feel if I had those things then, then I would have had language to describe what I was feeling, and yeah, then I would have come yeah. into that a lot earlier That's than true. I did without wasting my time with all those men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you have to know that something is possible. You have to know it's possible. Exactly. Which is why I, when I think about people who pioneer identity, I. I have so much respect for the depth of their imagination because for you to go somewhere that you've never seen before mm-hmm. and to be able to claim that place that you've never been before as legitimate, yo, yo, that's crazy. So, and that's yeah. not something that many people can do. I certainly, and it's not, it's not as though before I realized I was queer, I wasn't in sexual or romantic. Yeah, relationship. exactly, exactly. Well, it was just connected from my reality yeah i never spoke about yeah some of them i'm still friends with these women till today friends are friendly (laughs) we've never ever ever talked about ever wow in fact there was one of them that i was talking to recently (laughs) she just started a business and she invited me to do a thing and we talked about one night when we had gone out and gone dancing and gotten drunk and come back home and had sex we talked about everything except the sex <laughs> like, oh, do you remember that night oh that night was so mad that night was so late da, 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 da. and we just like nicely skirted around that part because there was no way to integrate that at the time right my daughter is over here looking at me with her eyes wide wow <laughs> How do you think you arrived in this world, dear? I think it was by the oh way. <laughs> yeah, so was there a... Did you make a decision to start living your life as out for lack of a better word? To... Uh, I didn't... I wouldn't say that there was ever a point where I decided to, to be out. I just did whatever felt natural and or necessary as time passed so um there was definitely a time where i was cautious about expressing my sexuality i remember that i submitted some letters that i had written to this woman that i had fallen hopelessly in love with in brazil because of course the minute you realize you're queer the next thing you do is you go and fall in love with somebody So I written these letters to this woman. I, I never sent them. I submitted them to Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women, which is run by the incomparable Nana Dakwase Chama. And I have a great relationship with her. And I told her, look, I would like for you to publish these, but I don't want you to use my name. So this was in 2016. Eventually, as I came to terms with the practicality of being queer, and I 
started to ask myself certain questions about how I wanted to be able to show up in the world, I just started to slowly and organically shed some of the caution. I don't want to call it fear because by the time I realized that I was queer, there wasn't that much that I was afraid of anymore in the sense that I had separated myself already as a as an unmarried mother as a person who had left the church behind i had separated myself already from many of the norms and the expectations that people had of me by the time guinness entered the group chat <laughs> this was you so i i never decided to come out i just settled more and more deeply into my identity as a woman who is also queer Right. Did do you have any questions from your family members as to why you were, you know, you? Why? had asked me why, but you must understand again that by the time I exist to keep them comfortable, I did not exist to conform to their expectations. But nobody had asked me when I was getting married in years. By the time they realized I was here, yeah. So, yeah. even the most standard expectation that you marry in, they had already realized that no good day. So, it was just a fucking <laughs> that was already blocked. <laughs> uh, so, nobody has ever asked me why. I have, I'm pretty sure that my entire family knows nuclear and extended. They've met my part. I've introduced my but I've carried. Wow. I've not carried. <laughs> Papa house, so I don't care when I go to my grandma's house, and I'll be like, "Yeah, this is my partner." Mm-hmm. You cannot vlog me. So, and I had a conversation with my grandmother because I I do care about my grandmother's, um, if not satisfaction, at least awareness of the possibilities in my life. So, my grandmother and my elder sister are the two people who matter to me the most. And whose understanding matters to me the most, or even at all. Yeah. Everybody else, if they understand, they don't understand. If they understand, it's a nice bonus. So if they don't understand, oh well. But my <laughs> so my sister and my grandmother, I did have conversations. Yeah. It's just you see it, you take it. I can only dream. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a unique privileged position, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, the fact that I was already transgressive made it easier. The fact that they had realized I don't fight plenty fights with them before on the subject of <laughs> and on the subject of rejecting the church and on the subject of even the, the men that were dating when I was dating men and my choosing to get birth control and you know there were many things. There were so many conversations. So that was just like is that it? That's how she used to do <laughs> <laughs> just leave her. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I get that part now. Basically, at what point did you um, decide to include like your sexuality in your work from a personal perspective? It's one thing to write about sexuality, like you know, over there, mm-hmm. those people, and then it's one thing to write about it, like this are my people. So yeah, there they are. Was the first personal story that I had written about queerness that I wrote under my name. Remember that I had submitted material to Adventures under a pseudonym. Yeah. But I wrote where they are because at the time I was in a relationship with a woman who is quite visible in the queer activism universe. And she's also 
well, not significantly older, but she's older than me. Um, yeah. A few years older than me. And had obviously dated several women. And I was the first woman that she had ever been in a relationship with that didn't hide her. Yeah. And having conversations with her about how impactful that was for her and realizing the depth of her desire for more visibility. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is something that I can do. This is I this is a story I can tell. I'm at a point in my life where it there is nothing that this will cost me that will like be detrimental to my existence. And I can see what it would mean to people I love and people who I don't know but who will read this story. So yeah. And I remember we had had a conversation because she had written um she had written a story that was sort of a composite of her experiences with the other women that she had dated because I wasn't the only woman with the child that she had dated. And she was talking about she she had told me about how um, being described as anti this was so jarring and how um the fact that my daughter knew that we were together and enjoyed our affection towards each other and was like part of our little like oh you two are so close you two are going on a date because of the way courage works i thought it would be useful for me to tell this story because then it will feed someone else's courage which means that maybe in two years or three years or five years or ten years or whatever there will be another young woman like this woman who i was very much in love with who will not have to be hidden yeah 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 um, you know so that's why i did it and so we had thing, and i had read it and i thought oh i should write something about my story and she was asleep and i think i, I wrote the thing i didn't go to bed until like 6 a.m i was just i wrote the thing in one night and you just published it woke up and so it was like what the oh my god <laughs> I was so happy when I I can't remember exactly why I was doing yeah but from time to time I go back to that story because it's like there was a time that I just got to my life and I stopped being able to write stories about men and women as in relationships mm-hmm. like I would try writing and only lesbian characters would come out only gay characters would come out and I'm like And I felt like I couldn't publish this and I didn't for a long 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 time. I just like kept my shit because no other thing was coming out. So seeing mm-hmm. stuff like that I was like okay. Yeah, so I can do this. I can actually publish this. So yes, exactly. that's what it is. Courage is such an infectious thing. Yeah, like yeah. Um so I'm wondering like have you ever received any lifestyle rejections, any noise back any like any negative energy basically from publishing like publishing quest stories from projecting queerness from being quest from being so vocal and being so visible yeah people say things it doesn't really bother me but the one time that i was struck by the depth of people's misogyny and homophobia and how the two are actually quite linked was when i came forward about having been sexually assaulted by um Andre Blaze Henshaw who was I'm the so sorry. The, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm good. But I remember uh, at the time that I, I had a rainbow flag in my Twitter name and 
so you you know i had gotten the usual like from feminists just an outpouring of support and then from the rest of the twitter rabble rubbish but then there was some guy who was like oh even if i wanted to believe this one before this your rainbow this thing and i just thought wow first of all you were never going to believe anyway so whatever yeah exactly But, like now now you have strengthened your misogyny with homophobia right and you're just being out here loud and bigoted how unfortunate for you but i was very struck by that and it's the thing it's a thing that i know far too many of us have experienced that sort of double i don't want to say double but layered yeah yeah layered like sometimes you can't even break it down when it comes yeah, to you like that silencing and a layered sort of violence because i remember yeah. going back being 12 oh, well trigger warning i don't know if i mean um, so i remember being 12 and being at this christian youth camp and i don't even remember the specific girl now maybe i just i was just lost in after all of them but i remember like three days into the thing going to my platoon monitor who was a pastor and just being like i need to confess something because i'm going to hell maybe i didn't say maybe maybe i was just like distressed i don't even think that in my mind i made a distinction between the fact that i desired these girls and the fact that i was experiencing sexual desire because you know just in christianity sexual desire as a whole is as in is bad yeah so i don't know that in my head it was like oh i am feeling sexual uh, desire yeah yeah these are things that i'm wanting <laughs> When we're showering in the morning and people are walking around my whole existence is just discombobulated. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and I remember and this isn't something that I've thought about often. But I remember him being like, "And you feel like this about the girls?" And I was like, "Yeah." And the way he asked me that let me know, okay, there's Yeah, yeah. Of course that whole situation was deeply stupid and of course he tried some shit because Nigerian pastors, right? Wow. <laughs> the point is I then didn't feel able because under normal circumstances I would have opened my mouth to say this one pastor was his name is doing. But because I had um what's his name? Caleb. Caleb Itwa. That's actually his name. Wherever he is, I hope he's not prospering. Because he had asked me that question in that way, without ex- explicitly saying anything, I knew that there was something additional yeah. that come forward and say that this person had been sexually inappropriate with me, and that is what Twitter user reminded me of. Yeah, of just if you have an identity that is further marginalized on top of your womanhood. Yeah. Yeah. Work, you know, good luck with getting any kind of It's going to be like so hard to exist. Do you know, I think the worst part now is being woke. Like these days I'm realizing my mama is called woke. Like knowing all this violence that exists is worse than not knowing. If you can be foolish mm. in peace. Like so today <laughs> Today I saw a tweet here. Yeah. I don't know if you've been on Twitter and you saw that I see a good thing that was going on. Okay, so this guy tweeted that um, um it's been a year now since his wife called him and told him that she was true while him and his guys they were eating isiwu 
at, at basically long story short he was eating isewu while his wife was in labor and when she was done she now called him and she said she's true <laughs> that's why it was bad somebody bought a website name named petraki fc something something like <laughs> so and then see i'm not even addressing those people i'm just telling you the background of what i actually want to tell you so then this woman now tweeted that when her, when she was giving birth her husband traveled for three days or something he didn't come back until after three days or something something and so that that was her tweet she now added and so like <laughs> i don't just <laughs> where do you start <laughs> so is for her now there's no problem there's no issue she can't see she literally cannot see like there's nothing you would tell her that will make her see and she's fine she believes she's all right so that's what i mean like ignorance is bliss if you don't know it's good because if you know it's headache it's like why does this exist why what is that quote um to be black and conscious is to be in a constant state of rage like is it really 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 is that's why they say we're so angry because like how can you not be yeah i was going to ask you about your work at the correspondence so you, it's a weekly newsletter thing and each piece is a hit hit upon hit and i want to know like what's your process how do you write it my process is still in process <laughs> <laughs> writing as a correspondent I was sort of I worked as a freelancer mostly and my writing was irregular so the thing that the correspondent has required of me in the last year which is to write every week regardless of how I feel has been quite demanding wow <laughs> why well, can't even think about it really demanding and i don't always make it you might have noticed that i didn't send out a newsletter last week and the newsletter yeah. that gave me things you read i write newsletters but i also write articles um, longer essays columns that sort of thing so it's yeah. sometimes i'm just like you know what something must kill a man but it's not this work that will kill me <laughs> well, I can't like, not be angry but i do enjoy i do enjoy the opportunity to explore my ideas in depth as my job i feel very lucky that this is work that i do for a living because i know that not very many people have the opportunity or the luxury or the privilege to genuinely enjoy their work and genuinely enjoy their relationships with their colleagues and genuinely believe in the work that is being done by the organization that they are employed by all yeah. of which yeah Yeah. I feel like it's a good it sounds like a good platform for you to express all the things that you want to say and I can see that like I can hear in your voice that urgency plus the freedom plus knowing oh my god so do you know mm-hmm. that you are revolutionary like how's that feel I know that I'm radical I don't necessarily know that I'm revolutionary yeah. revolutionary I I think of revolutionaries as being part of movements and one of the biggest struggles that I've had being in Nigeria is being able to not just identify with but also feel supported and welcome in the movements that exist so um 
my relationship with the Nigerian feminist movement is very fraught, as you might have noticed. My relationship, <laughs> my relationship with the Nigerian queer activist space has recently become a bit tense, also. Uh, <laughs> um, and I I don't really fit anywhere else. Like I'm not gonna start hanging out with middle class. Uh, Nigerian wives association that's never going to be me. <laughs> so I that I'm radical but I also don't I, I don't know what movement I belong to and I, I I spent some time working alongside people living in urban po- poverty in Lagos and that was a truly energizing and educative experience for me it also brought to the fore some of the more complex questions that I have about what it means to really interrogate privilege and transform privilege, or I don't like the word privilege actually, structural advantage. So interrogate structural advantage and transform that. And the the conclusion that I came to is that we absolutely need to transform systems. It is not enough. It will never be enough for individuals to come to terms with their their own personal structural advantages within a system that defines the limits of people's lives because my existence in that space was immediately i I wish i could how do i let me illustrate it because it's difficult to describe so we would go to protests right and we're protesting Mm -hmm. forced evictions and every single time i haven't said anything to anyone i'm in the middle of the group we're walking and somebody maybe the people that were distributing flyers to or the police officers that were interacting with or the government officials that were sort of trying to enter into dialogue with somebody would always say, ah, you, what are you doing? You, I know that nobody demolished your own house. Why are you here? <laughs> every time, every single time, it was clear that my, my visibility in that space wasn't necessarily a positive thing, but I also couldn't separate myself from it because I, there was no way to there's no, there was no way to actively address it and I thought well so this is me this is, I'm, I'm being a goody two shoes trying to be part of this movement but I cannot I can be a person who stands alongside this movement and does my bit to move it forward but I cannot claim it as my movement so if I cannot claim the queer movement or the feminist movement or the anti fascist movement then am i really a revolutionary you cannot be a revolutionary on your own <laughs> you know i think so, yeah. personally there is this deeper reflections this questions that you ask yourself these questions that you ask everybody and force us to ask ourselves is what made me describe you as you are like you're willing to do the work to look inside and yeah that's just that's it for me basically so yeah speaking of yeah on that same line basically um you were talking about how you're not welcome in the nigerian feminist space and in the queer space how do you deal with all that energy like to be so vocal to be like you're very strong how do you like your energy is very strong how do you deal with the people who 
don't react positively to it, basically. I used to have a desire to convert people. And then I realized that it's not my job. My job is to do my work, the work on myself that allows me to be in community with people who believe the same things as I do or who are invested in the same reality or in building the same world that I want. So it is very important to me to be clear and to be as clear as possible about my values and about the things that I will not accept and about the things that I want to see more of because that way I know that I will attract people who share those convictions and then with those people I can begin or continue to build a world or a reality that feels like the one I want to occupy people who don't believe in these things I don't worry my I don't worry about them anymore um I mean if you come for me boy I do enjoy a clap back okay I do enjoy I can tell <laughs> I do enjoy because, like, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a person who believes very wholeheartedly in love and tenderness. So everybody who is in my life, I treat with care. I'm not going to talk to you like that, but I'm also a very shady bitch, and I do enjoy a well-crafted insult. I don't have many opportunities to use them, so oh Twitter is a valuable, valuable site for me because it just allows me to be that person that I do not want. To in my community and the people that I care about. That's the only energy that I'm willing to direct towards people who are stuck in their bigotry. Yeah. Because life is short and every reality is legitimate. So please, if you want to occupy the reality that allows you to see my husband travel for three days and so, <laughs> I feel bad for you. But, but yeah. Passing because you don't feel bad for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 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 It's not not that I am strong, it's that my convictions are strong. Because there are times when I'm tired. There's times when I'm deeply, 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 deeply tired. But my convictions are my convictions and my values are my values. And so even when I do not have the, the strength or the internal resources to continue to push towards them. They remain fixed when I'm ready to resume. I'll come back and meet them with their right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that summarizes basically everything I wanted to talk about. And it has been very, very interesting getting to talk about queerness, politics in you know, in a light-hearted manner. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I definitely want to do this again soon, sometime soon. Hopefully, you won't do the thing that you did to me. <laughs> I won't go, I promise. Also, my life is very dramatic right now, so there's that. But uh, okay. my calendar, I, I used to be an organized person, let me just tell you, it's all this coronavirus. <laughs> Also, also woman, let me know. <laughs> so between coronavirus, pandemic, wahala, just let's <laughs> and then woman will now come and enter the group chat again and just cut everything out. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Where did we go from there? Please. 
called me now as we were trying to resume this Zoom call. She knows herself. She will still listen to this recording. <laughs> Congratulations for discombobulating your life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the streets are rugged. Wow. <laughs> the streets are rugged. But I like those streets very much. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> okay. All you young ones, I mean, as you can see, I'm getting old. So, this. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, so I was also going to send a love you note to your daughter. And I kept saying hi. And I kept coming in and out of our conversation. Please help me say hi. I will say hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, good night. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank and yes, you. next time we meet all right i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the pride diaries if for some reason you did not enjoy it i hope you learned something new that you can apply to your day-to-day lives if there's anyone you know in the community who you think the um, pride diaries should have in our episode please let us know send us a message on twitter or on instagram at the pride diaries Don't forget to share this episode with your friends and family. Love and light always, Rainbow. I want to see your light.